Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. I'm thinking of doing a webinar on the essentials of ADHD, a soup to nuts overview of the disorder, from why the name stinks, to how it works in the brain, to the role of executive function. I might even go into the wall of awful a bit, though that could be its own webinar. If this idea appeals to you, please let me know and I'll start setting it up. Email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. Also, just a reminder, Eric Tivers of ADHD Rewired and I do a monthly Q&A on the second Tuesday of each month at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. Go to ADHD Rewired slash events for more details. Finally, if you like this podcast overall, if I've earned your trust and goodwill, I'd love a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show and keeps us spreading the word about ADHD. Do it now while your phone is out. Unless you're driving. Don't do it if you're driving. Trees are dangerous. So are other cars. This is episode 48. Today, we're talking to John Hassel. John and his wife Monica run Connect ADHD out of Australia. John's a brilliant guy, and we go deep on multiple topics related to ADHD. This is the episode I was supposed to post during the ADHD conference, but wasn't able to because I couldn't edit it due to technical difficulties. I'm jazzed to post it now. I really enjoyed hanging out with John at the conference, and editing the show this week felt like I was reuniting with him, which reminds me that I need to talk to him about doing that six F's workshop together at next year's conference. In today's episode, we talk about how ADHD leads to our kids' behavioral explosions and how to manage them, how the environment affects our ADHD, the importance of science in ADHD, and those six F's I just mentioned. All right, let's get rolling. What brought me to ADHD coaching was I was working for Big Pharma. Um, I was um, a scientific advisor for one of the big drug companies, and I happened to be the scientific advisor for ADHD. So I was very lucky in the sense that I was paid to get an amazing education in ADHD because I had to be able to relay that information to um, specialists in the area. And in doing so, I was organizing a large national conference I was directed to an ADHD coach who was about one of two in Australia at the time. Within five minutes of talking to her, I said, you're the missing link. And um, this is what sort of drew me into coaching, that I realized that this thing we call coaching, particularly in regards to ADHD, fills in that gap and in some places even replaces the need for medication. And um, while medication is wonderful and it's, if it works for you, it's fantastic. And certainly as a tool I wouldn't bypass. Coaching offers another extension beyond that in terms of, you know, how to get systems that work in your life. So I went away and did some training with Edgar in the States, which meant many 3 a.m. starts. But that was a wonderful training. And then I've gone on and set up my own practice here five years ago. And I coach people all over the world and, of course, all across Australia. One of the things that's the most exciting for me as the husband of a woman who is a scientist 
and a lab scientist who works for big pharma too. Mm. It's exciting that you have that background for me because so many of our ADHD coaches, myself included, don't have that background in science. I mean, I'm, I'm married to my background in science, so I care about it, but I'm not a scientist. Like I was an English major, you know? So it's, it's exciting to me that you have that strong scientific background as well as the coaching background. The tie-in of, of science and, you know, humanity is, is a good thing, I think. So when you're working with, with your clients, how does that typically work? Do you have like a common place that you start? Does it depend? Um, yeah, look, I mean, as with any coach, I mean, it's all very, very client centric. So I, I want to hear their story. I want to hear what they want out of life. I also really importantly, and this is a, a wonderful um, thing I learned early in my coaching was to, I want to hear about what they're good at. I want to hear about the wins. In our practice, we start every session with wins and saying, well, what worked? Not just what went wrong. And, and it's, so, it's so interesting how conditioned with ADHD we can be to just only thinking about what's going wrong at the moment. Um, so Because even when I ask for wins, often people end up, well, yeah, this went really well. However, this didn't. You know? <laughs> You're going, well, no, no, we don't worry about that yet. Let's just worry about the wins. So we start with wins and their story. And then... Um, what I want to work with them is is to try and figure out where they are in terms of their understanding of ADHD in their lives. And really importantly, I think, is to understand their potential. Because the reason I got so enamored with working with ADHD in the first place was it dawned on me that that everyone with ADHD is nothing but potential. They're this unrealized, well, I mean, they've obviously realized some of their potential, but there's so much unrealized potential with them. So, you know, coming from a background of other mental health issues, it's, it's so wonderful to see that, you know, with ADHD, there's, there's often not major changes that need to happen to see people really blossom. So I start with this idea of, of you know, that perspective on how we're, we're starting here, but, but, you know, expect great things. Do you have ADHD? And feel free to not answer that question. No, 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 I do. I do. I'm um, loud and proud. <laughs> I, um, I, was, um, I was an expert in the area for six or seven years before I realized I had it. Um, and when I was sitting around with some other experts at a conference in the UK, I just had this, you know, as you do, the moment of awareness that sort of everything coalesced in my head. And I said it out loud and they all looked at me and started giggling and said, yeah, we thought you knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, coming to that in my 40s was a bit of a shock. Um, but um, I also have a son with ADHD and a daughter with ADHD. So my son we picked up very early. My daughter we were confused about for quite a while. And then she told us that she was. So it's the force is strong in my family. And I think, you know, it obviously ties back to a lot of why so much of the science around ADHD spoke to me. Because I'd read these, you know, uh, scientific studies. And... I would just play them out of my head. And, and, and it was like, I often used to say to my wife that my head's like a lab. I take these theories and I put it in my head and say, well, how does, how does that look when, in terms of how I perform? And could I imagine what that would look like in terms of performance? And, you know, disturbingly, commonly I could. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was sort of a, should have been a big clue. I can remember uh, I was working with a, a therapist coach guy, sort of combination of the two. Early on in my ADHD experience, when I was in my 30s, when I figured it out, and I remember saying to him at one point, I was like, 
am I right that I have ADHD? Like, is just because I don't know, like maybe I'm totally crazy. He goes, yeah, no, you wouldn't understand it the way that you understand it if you didn't have it. Like you, you can't have the kind of insight into this disorder that you have if you didn't have it. And so I was kind of like, all right, cool. Cause by then I was already talking to him about like, I might want to be an ADHD coach. I might want to work with people who have ADHD. Cause I think I can explain it to people who don't in a way that not everybody can. And yeah. he was like, yeah, you can totally do that. That's a thing you should do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, so. and isn't it, isn't it a wonderful thing though, when you're sitting talking to someone for the first time and, and they're describing an experience and you, and you give them the full complexion of that experience from your knowledge and they look at you and go, how are you reading my mind? How did you know that? Yeah. You know, and, and it's this wonderful moment of connection that, that is, and, and, you know, with ADHD, there's so few moments of connection with the rest of the world in that sense. Mm -hmm. It's not that people with ADHD are isolated from the world, but I mean, you know, in terms of understanding that, Oh, hang on my, the way I think is a bit different and, um, and you get it. So that's right. cool. Rather than saying, Oh, you know, why don't you just stop it? <laughs> 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 That's one of the reasons that I like to do my first sessions the way that I like to do them. I prefer to do home visits for my first sessions if possible. Mm. Um, sometimes geography limits that, but I like to do home visits where I have the family invite everybody whose relationship matters around ADHD. There was mm -hmm. one time I literally presented to 15 people. Like it was a workshop. <laughs> it wasn't a home visit, but typically it's like mom and dad and a brother and a sister or something. Um, every mm. now and then grandparents and things, but I like it because I get to sit there and I describe ADHD and the parents or siblings or whoever that don't get it. The ones that are like, nah, this is nonsense. Mm. They're going, how, how do you know what we're dealing with? Like we haven't, we haven't given you that much information. Cause I try to resist that too. People are like, can we give you like a Bible of our lives <laughs> as a family? I'm like, nope, don't tell me anything. If I can keep you from telling me stuff I want to. Because I want to roll in and be like, this is what ADHD is. Here's what's going on. And then they're like, well, sometimes he does this. And I immediately sort of poke my nose in that. And I'm like, yeah, and that leads mm. to this, which then causes this to happen. And then this thing over here, right? And they're all mm. like, how do you know all of this stuff? Because I know mm. ADHD. I don't, I'm not peeking in your windows at night. It's just this is how ADHD works. <laughs> There's certain patterns that follow suit with each other. Mm. So, and that adds some validity to the kid's experience. Or, or the adult mm. experience sometimes that, that I've found to be really valuable that some random dude off the street can walk in and roughly describe their lives. It's not mm. perfect, but I get it close enough that they start to see, oh, this must be a real thing then. Yeah. But look, you know, I, I, I coach the lifespan. Like, so I, I've everything from six year olds to this week, I had an 82 year old guy who has just been, it was in the process of being diagnosed. And he was, he was gorgeous. He kept saying flabbergasted. And I just thought, that's so cool. <laughs> um, but he, he was fantastic. And um, we, I, I agree with you. Like, you know, to get, to get as many people involved in the person around them, in whether it's just their partner or their friend or their family. And, you know, I, I do a lot of my coaching online via Zoom, mm -hmm. um, obviously, because you know, they're all over the world. Um, right. And Australia is, is, you know, a big place with, with lots of big gaps in between. You know, it's sort of like almost the size of the U.S., but but we don't have all the people that you guys have. So we, we have to get very adaptive at, at, you know, video conferencing. I'll jump online and, and you know, I can conference call, obviously, and, and I'll have all these little windows popping up. 
and um, all these relatives or friends popping up into the scene and, and we can talk about what the experience is. And, you know, even, even yesterday I was coaching a first session with a young guy here in Brisbane. He's very frustrated at the moment and he's having some explosive outbursts. And, you know, so there's holes appearing through the house because he's punching walls. Oh, but this is, you know, seriously, everyone I coach, I really like, like they're great people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as he sat there and we talked about um, the experience of what was happening with his parents there, um, I said, okay, let me see if I can tell you what's happening. And, and he told me his bit. And then I sort of, I filled in all the blanks around it, all the, the neurochemistry blanks around it that, oh, okay, it's when he's tired. So late at night, he often, it's when he trips off. It's, it's, there's often a trigger of some sort of irritation going on beforehand. And, and then there's often a, um, an authoritarian or parental intervention that is the, I've hit a wall now and now I'm going to react. You know, we talked about how punching walls isn't great for your hand or, or, or your insurance policy and certainly how it's, it's frightening for people around you. But we also talked about how, you know, that, that, that experience with ADHD with the, you know, uh, under-regulated emotions is that it's an explosion. The explosion is something we want to try and prevent and mitigate. But if it's going to happen, then we've got to ride it and we've got to make sure it happens safely. And then we recover at the end and how to reconnect at the end. And, you know, it was just really lovely because I had this 15 year old looking at me going, God, you get me. You understand that I feel horrible after I've done that. I feel shameful. I feel guilty. And worse still, I feel I have no means of reconnecting. And then at the same time, the parents are looking at me going, wow, that explains why the kid we love and think is fantastic in every other aspect suddenly becomes this, this thing we're scared of. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and you've given us a way of coming back because I get them to come back not about the action of the hole in the wall, but to come back with just a simple emotional reconnection. And that reconnection is not something we've explored on this podcast yet. Oh, okay. So I'd love to dig around in that a little bit if you're open to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, you know, if we think about the neurochemistry of what's going on behind that explosion is that, that invariably we're looking at, there's going to be um, unavailability of resources. So we know that in terms of neuro in neurochemistry terms that ADHD is about inconsistent supply of particularly dopamine, but also noradrenaline also has an effect on serotonin, but largely let's keep it simple and talk about dopamine. So as we go through the day, all of us, whether we have ADHD or not, have fluctuating levels of dopamine or availability of dopamine. What I think is the best description of the mechanism of ADHD in, in relation to, you know, excessive reuptake or recycling of dopamine means that people with ADHD are floating closer to that, that line of, of function. When they get a bit tired and dip down, they dip down below the, lo the line of functioning and self-regulation. And, and so what happens then is these irritants and triggers where everyone else would have, well, hopefully everyone else would have been able to, to regulate their emotions. You know, the way we regulate our emotions via attention, we, we all feel things first. Our emotions are our early warning systems to the world. Um, and, you know, uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett's got a really wonderful piece on that. If anyone wants to look it up, she's on uh, Ted talks and she's also a good book out called how emotions are made. Um, you all in America should be very proud of her. It's fantastic. That book is excellent. Yeah, yeah. She's just, she's just re-landscaped emotions. I just think it's wonderful. And it ties in so nicely with the, the model of executive function. So, so yeah, so, so what happens is you're under-regulated. When that emotional thing happens, instead of being able to kick into attention to, in effect, 
reshape the story that that alert that's coming from your emotions it, that doesn't happen and so instead we sort of go into fight flight freeze or as my wife is going to talk about it chad this year fib and and that's what was happening with this kid so he would have his explosion and at that point he's not in control he looks in control he looks very intentional but at that point he's just releasing it's all adrenaline then afterwards the thing about adrenaline it burns bright and it burns fast you know, then, then you have the slump afterwards, the crash afterwards. And so he's sitting in his room now thinking, what the hell happened there? What, what did I do? Um, and not even fully, sometimes not even fully cognizant of what he's done, but aware that he's done, he's exploded at people and, and been loud and scary and, and it was loud and scary for him too. At that point, to have someone come in and say, hey, you know, son, you're not, you're not supposed to yell or swear at your mother or punch walls or do this or that is less than helpful because what you do is you push people further into shame about something that they feel they had no control over and they don't even fully understand. It just happened, right? right? So at that point, we make it about, if we do that, we make it about the person. We say, this is your choice. This is, you chose to do that it's because otherwise, why would we be telling you to stop it? So when I talk to people, I say, you know, the, the, the point is that the, the issue is not really about the explosion. Explosion's the after effect. The, the issue is that we let the dynamite get wet. So what we want to do is we want to think, okay, we, we need a recovery pathway. Now, if someone is buried in shame, guilt, and just self-loathing because they feel horrible about what's just happened, even if they're still a little bit angry at their brother, mother, sister, whoever, the first opportunity has got to be about reconnection. Because if we don't build that bridge, then there's nothing to walk across. So I get people to say, and, and usually what I'll do is I'll say to people, tell me an action that your parents can do for you that makes you feel loved or nurtured or cared for. Now, for example, I had, I had this wonderful family where there was a significant amount of ADHD in their family and there was a father and a daughter and the daughter was about 15 or 16 and, and, and you know, asserting herself as a young adult and they would get into these clashes, these horrible clashes. And then, then so the daughter would run off to a bedroom because dad's bigger and louder. And she would run off to her bedroom, slam the door, and then she would just be, feel so horrible. She'd eventually, she'd sneak out the window and run away because she just felt like she had to flee. Mm -hmm. When I asked them what was, the, what was a, a nurturing thing that he would do for her, she said, oh, you know, I really love it on a cold winter's morning when dad brings me a cup of tea to help me wake up and get ready for school. And, and I mean, actually, my dad used to do that for me. And I always think very fondly of that, too. It's a very lovely thing to be woken up with this lovely warm mug of tea and, and you know, get ready for school. Now I get my wife to wake me up with espresso. So, but uh, same, same idea. And, and, and the dad sort of looked at me and said, oh, is that all I have to do? And I said, yeah, you go make a cup of tea. You leave it 10 minutes. You make a cup of tea. You walk in. You tap on the door and say, darling, here's your tea. It's all okay. We're going to be fine. Here's your tea. You come out and join us when you're ready. We're going to start dinner soon. You know, they went from this horrible outcomes where she would run away into the night and then they'd have to search for her and there was all these recriminations about that to she said it was sort of nice. It was like this door opened and she was able to return. And, um, and, and then, you know, she came back to the table and the deal is you don't talk about the thing, which is a bit hard to do with younger kids around <laughs> Because all the kids want to go, is she going to be punished for what she did or is he going to be punished for what he did? But you don't fix it then. What you do is you fix the relationship then. You, you, you re-engage. You say everything's okay. 
you get everything normalized. And then maybe tomorrow we can talk about what led up to that explosion and how could we mitigate it. So we've got a cycle now. Maybe we need to do a workshop together at, Ch- at Chad next year, but fight, flight, freeze, fib. Yeah. <laughs> and now we've got forgive and fix. Oh, nice. I like that. At the end of that, right? Yeah. yeah so we've got our fifth and sixth F. <laughs> I like, really like that, Brendan. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I love alliteration, something fierce. So <laughs> I, I know I swear I don't, but I do it all the time. <laughs> but that like that's what we're looking at here is fight, flight, freeze, fib. Um, and then forgive and fix, yeah. Forgive and fix. Mm, I love it. Okay, we're down. We're doing it. We're doing the uh, workshop. It's gonna be a little hard to navigate with the time difference, but we'll figure something out. Now, when you live in Australia, and look, you know, in the role I had in pharma, because a lot of, I had a lot of, um, you know, I flew internationally a lot and, and came to the States quite a lot. Yeah, you know, I did so many meetings in the wee hours of the morning that I'm, I'm very used to it. So I'll, I'll cover that in for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm sorry, I totally derailed you, but I just thought. No, 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 that's all right. That's all right. So, yeah, so that's what I do. And, and you know, and, and I suppose there's something I should have mentioned too. And, um, you know, there's an underpinning behind everything I do with ADHD. And. The underpinning is that we're all good people, that, that our intentions are good. What the world sees as an intention often is not. And, you know, and that's, uh, that's that analogy of, you know, Taleb's book, The Black Swan, and where, you know, when the English first came to Australia, they went to Western Australia and they'd only ever seen a white swan. And they saw these black swans and it totally messed their paradigm of what a swan was, which is, I, I like it because it's got a nice Australian connection for me. But he's written this wonderful book where he describes how people and events, whether it's um, Steve Jobs or Apple or, you know, uh, the GFC, are all these unusual events that, that throw us out of our paradigm of how the world works, our schemes of what we think is going on. And what most people do is they try and backfill it with the same ideas that they had for everything else. Mm-hmm. And what we really need to do is when we look at these things, the people who succeed and survive well out of these things are the people who look at them with new eyes and say, well, okay, okay, this is something new. I need to understand this. And then I, then I can access it and, and benefit from it. And with ADHD, you know, people with ADHD look like everyone else. We walk and talk mostly like everyone else, um, <laughs> except when I get excited. A little bit faster, um, but, um, a little bit louder. Other than that, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but, 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 you know, at the end of the day, the, the processing inside functions a little bit differently. Right. It, it, it has different, different motivators and different barriers. But once they're accommodated, there's, there's a lot of value in there. And in fact, even only yesterday, I came across a, a new research paper entitled The Positive Aspects of Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, A Qualitative Investigation of Successful Adults with ADHD. I mean, my God, Brendan. Please email that to me. Adults with ADHD. Yeah, please email that to me. <laughs> I will. I will. It's, it's done by Phil Asherson's group um, in the UK, Jane Ann Sedgwick and Andrew Merwood. Oh, Sedgwick. That's a name I know. I've read stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. That, I couldn't tell you what I read, but that's a name that seems it's both familiar and feels like it should be an ADHD connection. So that's something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's, um, and it, it very much ties into the idea of positive psychology. And, and, but it's, it's just great to see a, a research paper um, looking at that. And I mean, there have been a few, but but I like this one. This one looks good. So I'll, I'll shoot that through to you. But, you know, again, it's, it's about saying, and this is what I love about coaching, is it's the positive psychology aspect of it is to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you build from your strengths. 
mm-hmm. you know, and being very executive function based in how I work and, and, you know, and you know, we have to give so much to people like Barclay and um, Brown for what they gave us in terms of executive function and ADHD. And there are others too, you know, but um, they're the ones that I, I sort of buried myself in. One of Barclays, um, uh, he, he wrote a book on what are executive functions. And it's one of my favorite books. <laughs> which my wife says it's a sad comment on me, but I'm, I'm a, a bit of a Russell Barkley fanboy. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, the, th- the thing, thing in this book, he describes, um, describes an extended phenotype model for ADHD. And, you know, look, I did not know what an extended phenotype was. I knew what a phenotype was, but then that was about it. Then but, he extended it and it just went haywire on you. <laughs> yeah, I thought some sort of telescoping feature or something. But basically it's talking about how we can see the result of a behavior as representative of a species. So in other words, if I see a beehive, I can think bees. If I see, um, you know, in, in America, if I see a, a, a dam wall, a beaver dam wall, I can think beavers. In Australia, if I see a trail of dead people, I think pretty well any animal we have over here. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, if I'm flying across, as I will be in a few days to America, and I see um, city, you know, lights on the ground, I know it's a city and it's people. Right. Well, Barclay, I, I love this idea that Barclay says that if you look at your life, and, and it's very subjective, no one else gets to tell you what's right or wrong. But if you look at your life and you say, I'm happy with it or I'm not happy with it, ultimately you'll be able to trace that back to either um, functional executive function or, 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 or problems with executive function. I find that in terms of my coaching practice, that's, that's amazingly true. That, you know, if you get very good at formulation around executive function modeling, and so, you know, for for people who don't talk like I talk. Um, That just means having an understanding of how we think executive functioning works and being able to translate that into what we see in terms of behaviors or outcomes. Right. So like, like with that kid, I could, um, the kid that was punching the walls, I could talk about that in terms of an executive function model, which was based in neurochemistry, but then goes into the fact that, you know, you've got this emotional regulation thing. That's not, you're not getting control of that which is great because then we can say, okay, so how do we get control of that? Because now we've given it a name. One of the, one of the things I always struggled with, with core symptoms and core symptoms are great as a diagnostic model and they're, you know, accepted and researched, but in terms of actually doing anything about it, or we're talking about something that's already happened. We're talking about, you know, the horse has bolted. So you're inattentive, you're hyperactive or you're impulsive. Well, that doesn't help me much. But if I can say to you, that it's about your attention regulation. And if we understand what's involved in attention regulation, we actually suddenly see all these ways we can manipulate it. If we talk about emotional regulation, we can talk about manipulating it. One of the things I've been doing the last six months or so, I've probably been playing with this idea for a year and a half at least, Mm. but I've tuned into it a lot more in the last six months or so is, I call it executive functioning algebra. And what I do is I just pull executive functions mm. um, and I look at, so I'll look at an event and I'll look at what executive functions are living within that event. And then we can start to look at addition. What's going to add to it. What's, what's a multiplier for difficulty. What's an ad- adder for difficulty. Mm. And then how can we narrow down what the challenges are and mm. what can we do to address that? So an example might be a kid at their locker, right? Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of executive functionings happening for a kid at their locker in the hallway of school between classes. Mm. You've got time awareness. How much time is going by while I'm at my locker? Am I going to be late for class or not? Let's mm-hmm. say the kid is consistently late for class. That's the problem that we're seeing, right? That's our, 
extended phenotype mm. that we're observing. He's always late to class. So mm. what's going on? Well, if we find out it's the locker. The locker's a problem. Mm. Spending too much time with the locker. Mm. Well, is that a time awareness affecting it? Maybe. Is it working memory? Is this kid just not remembering what he needs to grab from his locker? Is he struggling to remember mm. his locker combination? Is that in there? Mm. Is it planning and prioritizing? He knows what he needs to get, but he's not really sure what's more important or what he should get and what he should leave. And I know all of this stuff is something I need for English class, but do I need to bring my literature book today or do I not need to bring my literature book today? Yeah, absolutely. And then you mix into that the fact that we've got kids in the hallway and they're talking and they say, oh, he's such a loser. And now mm. our boy at his locker is, his emotions are getting affected by that because mm. he's in middle school, let's say, and everything is about him because that's just how young adolescents work. They mm. have that self-centered perspective. So if we hear someone walk by that says he's a loser, are they talking about me? Are they think I'm not thinking I'm a loser? And now mm. my anxiety is skyrocketing or I'm getting mad or whatever. Mm. And is that keeping me in my locker? Mm. Or is it a different emotional regulation issue where I really don't like my math teacher or I really don't like math and I'm being slow out of avoidance? because mm. I'm having trouble regulating that, those emotions. Oh, and, and talking about extended, sorry to interrupt, but extended, talking about no, extended phenotypes, um, the measurement of, of how well kids do in subjects based on who they like as a teacher with ADHD is amazing. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I pretty well can say, well, you obviously like that teacher, right? And they're going, yeah, how'd you know? Yeah. Well, because you were terrible at maths last year and now you're great at maths. Right. But in there's the hope, right? That, that, that inconsistency is the hope always with ADHD that in any given day they can, they can switch from, from having major functional problems to actually being very functional. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the first tools I ever built for myself as a coach was um, what I call my performance influences because I was trying doing exactly what you're talking about. So not just from an executive, well, it's, it, it all boils down to executive function, but, but also talking about, well, then what actually impacts on executive function. So I start with, um, thinking about the inherent so or internal what's going on in their heads so um you know the first thing particularly in relation to executive function you think about energy so there, in other words it's a simple way of saying the resources do i have the dopamine available to do to self-regulate um so if i'm tired or if i'm hungry or if i'm stressed the the second thing is ability and and i think this is a big thing with kids and um, particularly around self-regulatory stuff with with kids with adhd is that you know there's been some great data out there about how kids with ADHD have a developmental delay in regards to social emotional self-regulation, which includes organisational self-regulation, um, and nothing wrong with their intellect. So um, you know, do they ha currently have the ability at their developmental level to do what I'm expecting them to do? And you know, adults can apply this to themselves as well. But often with adults, it's not that the the ability is is absent. It's the experience of the ability that's absent. They're not, they don't know that they can do this. Mm -hmm. the, the third part of the inherent stuff is, is any other change that's affecting them. So, you know, the kid walking behind them saying, he's such a loser. That is a change. That's a, that's a change. It's, all, it's also an impact of people and environment, but it's, 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 a, 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 it's, a, it's impact point. It's a psychological change whether mum and dad are getting divorced and that's playing on their mind or whether, um, whether they've got a cold or they're not well. Or they had Monday off 
for school (laughs) or it was the delayed opening for some reason, which happens in my neck of the woods all the time. Yeah. Yeah. All of that, that plays in there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it could be as simple as they had an argument with mum or dad as they left the house because they didn't have their books together or something like that. So that's the internal stuff. The second area is the learnt stuff. So this is the psychological stuff that people like to get into the stuff we've learned. So it's um, our schemas. And, and with ADHD, um, I, I refer to them as the myths of ADHD with um, my clients. And, you know, it doesn't matter what age they are, that there's so many myths in there. There's so many, and particularly as you get older, there's so many myths. Like, you know, I can only do an assignment the night before because otherwise I don't do good work. I had a, a, a gorgeous girl, I, I was, uh, well, she's 27, that I was coaching um, um, yesterday. And, um, and she was packing her day with, with jobs. And, and I said, wow, that looks like a really stressful day. And, and, and the extended phenotype thing of that was, yeah, and I don't get most of it done usually. And then I feel bad about myself and all the rest of it, and I feel overwhelmed. And I went back and said, wow, you, you know, what would it be like if you overcompensated for that time aspect of executive function you talked about? What if we just went for the really important things and left a lot of space around it so you could enjoy doing it and not feel stressed all day? In her head, though, she said, but how will I keep up my momentum? I'll just stall if I have that. And so, again, she, her, her ADHD mythology or her schema was that unless I'm constantly under the pump, then forget it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll drift and I'll start you know, watching cat videos. And that's going to burn you out eventually, riding that anxiety wave. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Oh, and look, you know, and, you know anxiety, the, the role anxiety plays in ADHD. They're best friends. Yeah, I'm yet to meet, a, I'm yet to have a client that, whether diagnosed or not, does not have some significant relationship with anxiety. I don't believe for a minute that there's a single person with ADHD who doesn't have some anxiety issue. Maybe diagnosable, maybe not, like you said. Mm, yeah. But everybody with ADHD, their ADHD is hanging out with their anxiety. Absolutely, because it's an intuitive fueling system that, that if I make myself anxious, if I put myself under threat, I act. And I don't always act well. That's why we do the assignments the night before. There's, there's a time blindness aspect, which comes from the front end. But, but then when we get closer to it, it's got to be a big enough threat. Otherwise, we don't do it. Because I can tell you now, there's not, in most people's minds, there's not a huge association with reward and getting assignments done. Because what happens? You finish it. You hand it in. You don't see it for a couple of weeks. And then you get this mark that's disembodied from the effort. It comes back and says, oh, you, you got a, you know, a C or a B or whatever. And, but, but hang on, I've forgotten about that assignment now. That's gone. That's history. I don't even remember writing it anymore. No, no. So you, you've got to find this intrinsic engagement um, with, um, with the work to change these schemas. Um, you know, and in fact, there's a wonderful book that I picked up in the States a couple of years ago when I was over there for Chad. And it was um, about um, becoming, oh, I always forget its title. I'll remember its title later and I'll tell you, but it's about becoming an engaged learner. It's a wonderful book um, and and I'd never see it anywhere. So I will send you the link and the details, but I encourage every person who has anything to do with learning and ADHD should, should read this book. In fact, anyone who's anything to do with learning should read this book. I was just talking to a client today about two hours ago. I might be exact on that given what time it is. Um, and he was, we were setting goals, brand new client. It's my first time working with him. I'm like we're setting goals. He's in, he's an eighth grader. Uh, and he's saying, I just don't care about school. I just don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not gonna like, I'll do the work I have to do 
to not get in trouble. But beyond that, I'm not going to work extra hard. And every now and then I just don't want to do with the work at all. And I don't do it, but that's only about 10% of the time. So I don't think it's too big of a deal, but if you can help me handle that too, that'd be great. But for the most part, I don't care. And I would like to know how to care more. Mm. There is not a lot I can do to make you care more. Like I can give you some perspective stuff and we can look at how this is going to help you in the long run and start setting some bigger goals for yourself and how Mm. look at how school is going to play into that. But I can't just magically give you intrinsic motivation. I just can't. All we can do is keep giving external and hope it gets in there. Yeah. Well, no, thank you, Brendan, because this is a great example of contextual memory with ADHD with you talking. uh, You just prompted me. It's self-determinism in, in learning. Um, Okay. Self-determination in learners. I think it might've been. Um, And, 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 and exactly what you're talking about there. It's about how do you fall in love with whatever you're doing? Not just wait till the thing that comes and grabs your passion. And we talked about the stuff he's in love with, which was mostly friends and sports. Mm. And so I'm trying to, and it, I've only met, like, we worked for an hour, so how much could I do? But, yeah. but I started playing with the notion that a, a lot of what he's passionate about, and then he started talking about some strong emotions and how they played out with him. And it was a very physical conversation. It was a lot of, like, football, and when he gets mad, his whole body, he can feel it. So I was mm. like, how about this? How about when you're engaged with something, tell me, pay attention to how your body feels. Hmm. and come back to me and maybe we can play with that even if it's just body positioning to help you feel more engaged yeah absolutely absolutely like again coming back to the strengths and and the intuitive stuff you know if we can find a way yeah again i had a young guy who plays a lot of sport and um he's he liked biology because he liked the body mechanics side of it um because it made sense to him because he uses his body mechanics to his advantage all the time. But now he's doing plants and <laughs> plants <laughs> don't have the same body mechanic. So, um, but, but even that, you know, trying to find linkages in there, but, but hey, plants are a system just like the bodies are a system. So if we can think about what's going on in the plants as a really simple system compared to um, what the human body does, um, then maybe that's a, a way into it. And look, you know, like you say too, it might even be that the way to get into it is, is through friendships. About about you know studying with friends or even you know a, a new app. Right. How, how many times have you got engaged with something through a new app or a computer program, and you know and, and that's where things like you know the the various flashcards and stuff. Now I, I was never a fan of flashcards myself, but I found that that's a really great tool because the computerized flashcards are sort of fun to play with and set up. So yeah, so the self-determinism and learning is, is a really important book and a really important concept. And I, I encourage people to hunt it out, even though I couldn't remember its title when we first started talking. Working memory is a thing. <laughs> the other learned things, I should finish these off before I forget. The other learned things are um, self-efficacy. So our belief that we can do something. So often yep. with ADHD, we have this little voice in the back of our said, no, it's gonna, you're going to screw it up. It's not going to work. And, and we need to be really conscious and really shine a light on that and really challenge that because often we've actually proven that wrong. Often we've, we've, we've instituted a new approach, we've proven that it works, and yet in that moment of pressure or stress or, or under-resourcing, it creeps back in and it's whispering in our ear again. So, so being conscious of is my, self, is my self-efficacy, my perception of whether I can win at this or not, is it undermining my, my ability to perform? The third thing in learn is obviously adaptive strategies. 
So, you know, when, when you grew up with ADHD, whether you knew you had it or not, you develop a whole pile of adaptive strategies that may or may not work terribly well all the time. Now, we're not idiots, um, so they all do work or have worked at least once. Um, but the problem is they don't tend to be as adaptive as they should be. Stopping and saying, well, okay, I'm approaching this the way I always approach it. How's that working for me? Um, you know, do I need to um, do I need to stop and really flip this on its head and change a way of looking at it? And obviously, there's there's mechanisms for doing that. The third area, which is usually the one that most of the teachers like to start with, is the environment. It's the really obvious one. It's the the people, the place, and the situation. So the people, obviously, the guy walking behind you in the corridor is going to derail you if they're saying negative things. If you're working with your friends, though, that can that can stimulate you and motivate you to become engaged. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, no, no one will be the same thing for you every single time. We need to monitor that because sometimes friends are great motivators for getting stuff done. Sometimes they're great distractions for not getting things done. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes we need to work alone. Sometimes we really benefit from working in, in, a, in a sense of a peer area, like even sitting in a cafe doing some work because you feel that there's other people around you being productive and active can be helpful. The second one is, is the place or the physical environment. So, and that's a pretty obvious one, you know, in terms of sometimes noise and, and clatter in the background works like a lovely white noise that makes it easier to focus. Other times it's highly distracting. And, and even down to two desks being tidy or desks being cluttered can actually have varying effects on people. And temperature. Yeah, actually, that's, that's a really good one. I don't often think of temperature. The other, the other thing too is even light, like, you know, mm -hmm. You know, the, your access to light, whether you're locked in offices or you're out in sunshine or, you know, and, and again, they can have both positive and negative effect on your performance. That includes computer screens. That includes oh, yeah. <laughs> overhead fluorescent lights, which flicker. Although we don't recognize that they flicker, our eyes do. Like our brain recognizes it and our eyes are constantly adjusting a little bit mm. to the flicker of the light. And that's why you get exhausted, like sort of in your eye muscles and stuff yeah. when you work in fluorescent lighting. And that's what most offices and schools and things have because it's the cheapest kind of lighting, but it mm. can be pretty straining on the eyes. Oh yeah. And, and particularly that those fluorescent lights as they age, they get worse. They're not consistent yep. all the way through. Yeah. Then you notice. Oh yeah. Yeah. And even, even actually, you know, the new eco-friendly lights that we use now, um, some of them, particularly as they get older, can take a long time to brighten up. Mm -hmm. So you can be sitting and trying to work in quite dim environment and, and struggling with it. Yeah. So the last one is situation. And, and, you know, obviously the, the situation that we're trying to exist in can be productive or counterproductive in terms of our performance. So, you know, a, a deadline sometimes is, 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 is a great stimulant. Um, but other times it, it overwhelms and stresses us and we don't succeed. Um, you know, the, um, the situation of, of whether I had a fight with mum and dad before I left the house or whether I had a fight with my wife or, or whether um, I'm feeling jealous or competitive of a colleague or, or whatever. All of these situations can play a big role. And, and, and you know, with ADHD too, uh, again, I suppose something that's part of the promise and hope of it is that people with ADHD are very good at creating their worlds based on what they're thinking. So it becomes such a, a tangible experience of the world if you're feeling like you're fighting with someone or if you, if you feel like that you're, you're under the gun or some, under observation that people think you aren't performing at work. It becomes a reality in a whole world. And, and sometimes it's not, it's not a reality. Sometimes it's just your perception. 
Um, and when I say that's a hope is the hope of that is the message is that, wow, if I imagine it, it can feel really real to me. So why don't I imagine something else? <laughs> you know? Why don't I imagine everyone loves me and admires me and thinks the work I'm doing is fantastic? Um, <laughs> you know? um, because, because that too could be true. So just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I'd say that first, um, think of the black swan. Think of yourself as this you know, unique, wonderful person that has not even begun to tap your potential yet. And you will. Or your kid as the black swan. Oh, yeah, or your kid. Absolutely. 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 Um, and then the second thing is, too, is that um, most of ADHD can be solved with three simple awarenesses. One is monitor. With ADHD, we, we struggle to check in on, the, on ourselves and the world. So any, we want to think about ways in which we can monitor what's going on. The second thing is we need to think about referencing. We need to have an internal guide that we reference. So we need to start taking time and finding processes to think about intent and how we're going to shape that intent over time, which in the simplest form looks like making goals and plans for goals. Mm -hmm. The third thing is um, we need to really take ownership of, of self-direction. So much of what happens with ADHD is bound in this idea of reaction to the world. Even when we achieve stuff, often it's in reaction to something else in the world that triggered us, right? <laughs> um, it, what, something we call our great intent or success might be because, you know, we got told to. I have, have a client who's a brilliant guy. He um, did very well as an engineer. Then someone said, hey, you should do medicine. You're smart enough to do medicine. So he did. And he even says, I don't know why I did it. Just someone said, so I did it, you know, and, and of course he passed because he's a really smart guy. So think about that. Think about how am I directing myself routinely through the day um, and, and over time. And, and what is that voice saying? Is that voice saying stuff like, this is what I want based on my intent. This is how I'm going to do it. And I know I can succeed. Or is it in there saying, you know, those whispering, those gremlin negatives, if we become really conscious of self-monitoring or monitoring generally, self-monitoring and environment, self-referencing in terms of what we want to happen, and then a means to it, in other words, self-direction, people will see a dramatic shift in their days. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts, or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.